You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. You're listening to the Show Jumping Podcast, a fun and informative show for riders, owners, trainers, grooms, and fans of all levels. I'm Ashley Winch in Kansas City, Missouri. And I'm Christy McCormick in Saratoga Springs, New York. And you're listening to the Show Jumping Podcast, where we deliver at-home riding exercises to our listeners and chat with fellow horse enthusiasts about the world of show jumping. Today, we're joined by my friend, Ashley Davis, who worked with me about 15 years ago while she was helping care for the horses at Ethel Walker Riding School, and I was doing some freelance teaching. Ashley has since moved to New Hampshire and is the founding member, managing broker, and top producing agent for a real estate company on Lake Winnipesaukee. Uh, <laughs> Ashley, am I saying that right? We need the ping. <laughs> you got it, girl. Lake Winnipesaukee. <laughs> okay. okay, good. <laughs> I'm going to have to come out and see that for myself. Um, and Ashley's not involved in horses anymore. Uh, we have an additional guest with us, a friend of Ashley's named Jamie, who used to be, uh, deep into the horse business and is now a project manager for a medical company out of Boston. How are you guys doing? We are fantastic. We are so excited to join you today. And it's so fun to, to dip our toes back into the industry that we still know and love and follow. So, <laughs> so closely. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Jamie. How are you? Hi, doing great. Thank you so much for having us. I'm excited to chat. Great. Yeah, so glad you're here. Um, so, okay, normally this podcast is about the ongoings in the horse business, but um, let's talk about why some of us don't do the horse business anymore. And to preface this, I have gone through a transition recently where I really changed how all in or all out I've been. Um, I've been all in for the last 30 years and I'm adjusting to where I'm picking and choosing where I'm into it and love that side of it. But, you know, as we all know, this business can be really hard, both on, both on us as humans and certainly on the horses. Um, so Ashley, why don't you start? What are the, some of the reasons, tell us a little bit about what you did in the horse business and for how long and why you decided to make a change. Yeah. So I started riding when I was about three um, and I grew up in New Hampshire. So obviously not the Mecca or the um, the be all end all of horses and kind of outgrew the horse show world in New Hampshire and went to Stonely Burnham in Western Mass for high school. And that was, uh, you know, amazing for my career. Um, I was never the the wealthy kid who had all the opportunities, but I was the kid who uh, was first in last out at the barn and, you know, had a bit of talent and would work for any ride I could get and any animal that I could throw my leg over. <laughs> mm. So I was very fortunate as a junior, even though I didn't have the money to really do it to kind of get some good exposure um, and and have some amazing experiences throughout my junior career. Um, but knowing what I knew and being a bit of a, you know, my family comes from the entrepreneur side of the world. And I realized that horses was not going to be my career as much as I wanted it to be because of the lifestyle. Uh, so sure. I, I, I dabbled in the industry for a while. I did some riding, I did some grooming, I did some managing. Um, and then I, you know, 
had the had the foresight to say this is a really hard lifestyle to live a quote unquote normal life <laughs> in. Yeah. And is it going to provide me the the future that I really want? And I had to kind of step away and um, as much as I love it and I miss it, um, I have been selling real estate for 15 years. I grew up in the area that I sell in. And I will say that I think the horse world and the experiences that I had growing up with horses and dealing with the people in the industry has really prepared me for what I do now and really set a, an incredible um, launch point for the success that I've had in my career outside of horses. Good. Yeah. I mean, we learned so much from the horses themselves. And I feel like that's why we get into it is, is the, the relationship with the animal. Um, for me, the relationship with the animal was always the driving point of it. And unfortunately the business itself that we exist in, and we, people don't like to talk about this too much, but it really is the embodiment of the haves and the haves nots. And I think, yeah. unfortunately, that's a huge reason for so many very interested and potentially very talented riders to choose a different path. I mean, yes, it's a hard lifestyle. Yes, we all know that we're traveling gypsies and we work, you know, 363 days of the year. Um, and usually for, you know, very little money, unless you've waited it out and figured out how to make a real <laughs> go of the business, which it <laughs> takes a lot of trial and error and definitely relying on the right customers. But, you know, it's, it's such a difficult space to live in when you realize that there's such a, a gap between the people that can afford the, to own the horses and the people that are kind of struggling ride to ride. Like you said, you would do anything to get a ride. Yeah. And I, you know, the horses were always, my driving factor. I mean, I, I formed bigger bonds and greater relationships with some of the customers than they, you know, they didn't know their horses half as well as I did. And that's very common mm -hmm. in, in that side of the world. Um, and at the end of the day, everything that I did was about the horses, whether I was riding them or caring for them or managing the people that were caring for them. Um, and I think that, you know, that side of being an animal lover really never leaves you. And I, I, I right. I'm finding it in my regular corporate life now. <laughs> are you? I, yes. I have my customers that are drawn to me that, you know, we're going out and looking at houses and they're like, well, we have to have a really great dog yard for the dog. Or, you mm -hmm. know, I find a client and I'm touring their home to put it on the market. And they're like, and we have this full dog washroom. And, you know, it's not the horses anymore because New Hampshire, again, is not the mecca for it. And if it was, you know, I'd yes. love to be working in Wellington and doing that side of things. But um, here I am living my fantastic vacation lake life in New Hampshire all summer. Right. And then skiing all winter. On, but on Lake um, Winnie the Pooh. Yes. Yeah. Lake <laughs> Winnie the Pooh. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but you know, at the end of the day, the animals are the reason that you're there. And that is so, yeah. so paramount. I mean, it, it's really, I can't imagine, you know, the greatest relationships that I think I've ever had in my life have been with horses. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I don't disagree at all. I mean, they're, they're such a constant and, and that's, you know, the, the, listen, the huge, huge portion of my life has been spent, not just, you know, taking care of the animal, but you know, competing with them and, and jumping them over jumps that they were probably never meant to look at <laughs> right. it in the first place. And, and teaching clients who are riding these horses that they do love 
and you hope have a nice relationship with them, but they, you know, the, the reason for having them can have many faces, you know, there's, there's prestige, there's winning ribbons, there's, um, just the, the part of the business where it's a little more of a social lifestyle than it is about that relationship with the horse. And I see kids now these days who they're either at one end of the spectrum when they don't know what, you know, their horses eat or what, you know, what kind of grain they get or how, how much they, those horses like to be turned out each day. Does that horse like a 30 minute turnout and then is ready to come in or do they like to stay out all day? Um, and it's just, that's the kind of back to basic stuff that I wish we had a little more of at each level of the sport, um, which is hard. You know, some of it comes down to time. We don't have all of that um, when we're trying to show quite a bit. Uh, Jamie, can you talk a little bit about your role in the horses and and what made your choice to make a transition? Absolutely. Um, I had a similar kind of upbringing to Ashley. I wasn't the kid that was super well-funded. Um, I grew up in Massachusetts, started at just a local barn. and loved it. My parents had no idea what to do with that. Um, so they kind of were like, sure, we'll drop you off, whatever. Um, and I found myself, you know, working to do more starting from a very young age. And that eventually turned itself into finding my way to the scene in Wellington, doing a little bit of everything from, you know, FBI grooming, assistant training, you know, running local barns, you know, in different phases of life. So, Um, And I think that love for the horses, I think what you guys are talking about is a huge component for those of us that particularly if we're not coming from a well-funded backed kind of showing experience that brings us in there and keeps us going and keeps us doing it. Um, No matter, you know, like you said, it's such a high time commitment. You know, you're there being a traveling circus person and you know, you do it because you absolutely love it. Um, And honestly, I don't know whether I ever would have voluntarily said, you know what, even though you have those moments where you think, you know, wouldn't it be nice to have a vacation? Don't I want to go hang out with Ashley on the lake? I don't know Mm -hmm. whether I would have truly said, all right, I'm going to give it up because of that love for it. Um, But I actually fell off and broke my back um, during the pandemic in 2020, not catastrophically, but enough where coming back and doing what I was doing and what I like to do wasn't really going to feel great and safe and comfortable for me. It was kind of just not ever going to be quite the same. So I said, you know what, I guess this is the universe telling me it's time you know, you went to college, put that degree to use and try and be a normal person. And, you know, I'm kind of grateful in some ways, because it is really nice to have a different life and have that free time and be able to Mm -hmm. pursue things that you want to do personally. Um, As much as I do, you know, I miss it a lot in a lot of different ways. But, you know, I'm grateful to be inside and warm today looking outside at the snow. Yeah, right. Well, and we t- we say the word lifestyle quite a bit, it, you know, having a lifestyle where you enjoy what you do. And we keep saying we love the horses. Um, that's so important. But I think what we all know and we're, we're carefully acknowledging is the love for horses isn't the entire day of this business, right? I mean, um, we have to keep that in the forefront. And really, 
you know, we have to remember too, we're asking these horses to do things that they were not bred to do. We may breed them now because some have, you know, athletic talent, whether it's racing or jumping, and we apply those to the next, you know, breed of, or generation, right? But if, if you really look up the, the purpose of the horse, there's originally they're used for farming and for war and for transportation. And we don't need those three things. We don't, they're not used for those three things anymore. So now they're just used for our own personal pleasure. Right. And I, you could break it down to the nth degree and say, this is silly. And, and I do think some horses really do enjoy being exercised and work. And I think some of them really learn to love their job. You know, some get, some get kind of excited and revved up to go to the ring, but the care of them is so important and, and has to drive how we, how we, you know, put them in each of their days that I think that can be, that's just such a constant job, um, that that's hard yeah. to uphold. And I think what's hard about, you know, I, and it, Jamie, I'm sure would agree with me on this is being a little bit and Christy would too, being behind the scenes is when what's hard is when you start to see that deterioration of appreciation for what the animal is doing, um, or, or appreciation, you know, excitement from the animal's perspective. Like they're just, you know, a little bit down about what's about to happen to them because they're being Mm -hmm. prepped to go to the ring. And, you know, as an animal lover through and through, that's kind of, that's why we started doing it. That's why we continued doing it, regardless of what aspect we were working in in the industry. At the end of the day, we would skip dinner just to make sure a horse was iced properly or, you know, medicated properly right. or, you know, sound enough to go to bed. <laughs> and well, I think and there's that- a lot, there's, they're the there are the benefits to, to having horses, you know, especially if you do get to be their caretaker, you do, you know, you learn the discipline it takes to take care of them. You do learn to put somebody else first, you know, you put them ahead of their needs ahead of our needs. And, and that's, that's a huge lesson. That's a, that's both helpful to the horses and helpful to us. Yeah. And listening to the podcast that you did with Jamie Cormier was so it resonated. And as I was listening to it driving, I sent it to Jamie Abram with your here with us today. And I was, I was just like, this is a bit of PTSD, but it really makes us appreciate the life that we live now <laughs> because it just resonates yeah. so much in terms of how much you put into those animals. And, you know, but I think that there's so much to be said for all of the lessons that we learned and the experiences that we had, whether it was, you know, dealing with the animals themselves and the care and the devotion that we gave to them or dealing with the people and the different dynamics and the personalities. I mean, I can say that, you know, I would never trade any of the experiences that I had in the horse world at all because I have, I'm a better person. I'm a better businesswoman. I'm a better leader. I'm a better, you know, in so many aspects of my life because of those years that I spent with the horses and in that industry. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the biggest lesson I've learned is how to be compassionate and both towards people and animals, but you, learn so much about, you know, being empathetic and understanding, you know, this, this is, if you have to have this capability yet, I've certainly met horse people that (laughs) do not have this capability (laughs) in their repertoire, but you know, whether it's understanding, you know, again, first where the horses, how the horses are feeling that day. I, I truly believe horses can have emotions and they're not always the most intelligent animals, but they're definitely, 
animals that connect to humans. And I think that when they recognize, you know, sort of somebody who not just feeds them and brings them in and out of their stall to go in the paddock, but I'm not saying that they understand that when we use, um, you know, liniment A versus liniment B on their legs, they're (laughs) going, oh, thanks, Christy, for choosing that one. I like that better. Um, But I think having a relationship with a horse is, is you can apply that to so many relationships with humans. And then as far as dealing with the humans in this industry, that's across the board, you know, hopefully you meet people like you and I, who we met and we had such a great time connecting about similar experiences and we had come from different worlds, but what we were doing with those kids at at the Walker, um, you certainly learn things from dealing with clients, you know, what, whatever perspective you are from the horse world. I ha- I had a client who we had a wonderful groom and that client knew her for four years and, and asked me in their fourth year what her name was. You know, that's just, that's just such a, the epitome of people who come into this space and think that they are the most important part of it. And that's, that's a little bit tough to, to work with, but can be applied to, you can learn something from that. You can apply that to meeting lots of other people in in different industries in the world. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, the way I look at it is, and I still look at my day-to-day life this way, that everybody that you meet, regardless of where they are on the spectrum, whether it's an animal or a human, you learn something from them. Yes, it's a great yes, way of exactly. looking at it. <laughs> if it's good, if it's bad, it really doesn't matter. But everything is a teaching opportunity, and that only yep. allows us to grow and evolve ourselves into the person that we desire to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I remember learning from um, Ashley. You'll appreciate this story. One of uh, one of the students from Ethel Walker uh, who couldn't tell me her course anytime we went to the ring except in terms of shapes and colors and (laughs) i i might have mentioned her on a previous podcast but this to me was um and she was frustrated that she always went off course and i just remember looking at her and going okay this is how you learned so we'll figure this out come to find out later you know severe dyslexia and we really had to address um how to remember what she was doing in a different way that everybody else did. But you, you think you go through the motions with these students and they are also individual and so different. So the horses and the students across the board. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Those people's Jamie, skills are so you... valuable. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I was just going to reference your injury. Um, you know, can you, what, what do you think you learned from your injury that has helped you in the non-horse world? Um, I think being launched into the real world a little bit by surprise, um, I think kind of made, forced me to land on my feet and adapt and just kind of hit the ground running, which I do think those skills were set up for me by my experience working in the horse world, um, the same way Mm -hmm. that those people skills, you know, coming out and working in the corporate world, it is just so valuable having had that background, even if you're applying it to something completely different, because you're dealing with people, not only all different personality types, but everyone's a little under pressure, right? We're out there, we're competing, and you're not necessarily getting everyone's best self all the time. 
Um, no, you're not. <laughs> the adaptability portion of that too. Um, I think really, mm-hmm. you know, being injured and having it be, all right, it's the middle of the pandemic. You better figure it out. I think my time working in the horse world really set me up to be able to handle that challenge. Ah, so the whole, meaning the horses helped you recover from injury. Yeah, definitely. Having that kind of the mindset and the adaptability and the perseverance that you have to have to exist in the space that we've all existed, you know, doing that for our lives, um, Mm -hmm. I think sets you up to handle anything that comes your way. It's sort of like when you're, when you write the plan down on the whiteboard and it goes completely awry. Yes. Yes. It's just, you've got to think on your feet and adapt and turn and pivot. And I, I mean, watching Jamie go through this, you know, it, it's been really amazing to, to kind of experience that with her because we all go through it a bit in our own senses, but she was really one of those people that was thrust out of, out of the horse industry and landed on her feet and said, here it is. And here I am. And she's incredibly successful Mm -hmm. in her career and does so well. Um, But it, it really like you and Jamie Cormier were saying a couple weeks ago, when you write the plan down on the whiteboard and your whole day goes awry, (laughs) it's just that. Yeah. You might as well just erase it. Yeah. (laughs) I know you can sympathize with that. Like you think that your life is, you think you've set yourself on this track and it's linear. And then all of a sudden, uh, a detour comes and you yes. are just forced to be adaptable. And it is so hard, I think, as a perfectionist, because I can, you know, I have that sort of OCD and that that type A personality where I thought I want everything to be perfect. And I was that way with my horses and with my clients. And I am still that way in my business. But I think I've, as I get older, I become a little more able to say, it's okay to not be perfect. <laughs> And isn't that a hard statement to swallow? I mean, it's, and I think that's maybe, that's potentially the biggest lesson the horses should teach us is it's okay not to be perfect. And it's something where our horses are never perfect. And we ask them to be so close to perfection that it's, it's, it's amazing where we go to. I mean, look at the, look at even just the scoring we do, you know, scoring out of a hundred and we're (laughs) striving to get, you know, over 90. And can we reach that perfect score when it's all a subjective sport anyways, at least the hunter side of it. And the, not just the learning, you know, in the ring and the results that come from showing, but just the, you know, like you said, the day to day and the taking care of them that they have, they have to teach us that when I fell off, I was at what I guess would be maybe the peak of my riding career at that time. And I went from, I mean, literally trying to be as perfect as I could and get as many rides as I could and win as many classes as I could to not being able to walk. I tore my ACL after riding a horse that was doing nothing wrong except questioning an obstacle that I, you know, pointed him at. And it was a little small gymnastics and a green horse. And I just was turned off the wrong way and landed on my feet. And I felt and heard my knee just go. And I did know that second that something was really wrong. You know, when you fall off and you're like, okay, can I breathe? Yes. Can I move? Yes. Okay. I'm fine. And you just get up and then you get back on and you figure it out. 
And that was yep. the first time ever where that didn't happen. And I just sat on the ground and I remember the first feeling being such, such dread of the fact that I knew I wasn't going to be able to get back on. And, and that really evolved into when the doctor said to me, well, you have six to nine months until you can ride again. I thought it was the end of the world. And because it feels the, like the, it feels that way. Yeah, yeah. it does. If He might because as well have said six to nine to years. Yeah. A day to you is a long time. And six to nine mm -hmm. months is, is years, is decades. <laughs> it feels like decades. Exactly. Yes. He might as well have said the rest of my life. And, yep. you know, the funny thing is at the end, and I was just, I was literally devastated, which to me now I want to say to myself, get your shit together. Like, come on, this is ridiculous. You're fine. And what happened was I was, I was a better person after that. I was, like you said, Jamie, I, I really, I learned so much from not just how to heal, but my perspective, you know, I thought horses were the only thing I was ever going to do. And that started my path to, I really needed to open my eyes and look at other things in the world that exist outside this horse world. Yeah, it's scary, but there's so much out there. Um, and I think, you know, like we said, we're all so dedicated to it when we're in it. It's hard to see outside of our blinders. Um, and yes. <laughs> the, as the schedules um, get more and more packed and it's more and more demanding, there's it's so all or nothing being in the industry, which is, you know, amazing when you're in it. But you forget that there's the world outside. And I think what you guys mm -hmm. are saying, too, about the perfectionism, being injured and having to kind of like give yourself a pass, take it a little easy on yourself and say, I need to actually be nice to myself rather than all right, I have to go. I have to get absolutely everything done. Like you said, Christy, get every single ride that I can, you know, to yep. take that, that moment and say, okay, for the next, however long it is, six, nine months, a year, two years, I'm just not going to be able to do what I think I should be able to do. And resetting the expectation, I think is a huge learning experience. Yeah, that's a good, good phrase that resetting an expectation, because I think expectations are something that are usually unrealistic in the horse world for many of us from the clients. You know, they they always want to go into a horse show and win every class. Well, there's only one winner in each class. And, you know, statistically speaking, it's it's probably not going to be you. Let's work towards that. Let's try to win. But when we put so much pressure on ourselves, that turns into pressure on the horses. And that is what really turns into, I think, the negative um, experience for them is is when we continue to ask them um, more than they're they're truly, you know, capable of, or we more than we should be asking them. Uh, yeah. And certainly that can relate to the people. I remember, I remember being on crutches in a golf cart, trying to drive around Wellington from the tent to the rings. And I was so mad and frustrated that I couldn't physically do anything that I would be, I mean, this is embarrassing. I would be sitting outside the golf cart, outside the tent, looking into the aisle, which you can't see anything in there. It's dark. And I, you know, the, the people working for me and the grooms taking care of the horses, I would see something from afar and I would start yelling into the tent about it. You know, who, why are you doing it that way? And why are you leaving that there? And, and now I just look back and I'm like, Oh my God, Christy, like, what were you doing? But that frustration really turned into, again, another lesson in empathy and compassion towards people who are just trying to do their job and trying to do it right 
for me and, or for the horses that not even just for me, shouldn't have been doing it for me, should have been doing it for the horses. And I learned more about being a boss. I learned more about being a rider and I learned more about being a horse person in those six months than I ever would have had a knock on hurt. Yeah. I think that, and it, unfortunately it doesn't change whether you're it's, it's more impactful when you're in the horse show world because literally your job is seven days a week. And, um, it doesn't change much if you have an injury or something happens to you in the real world either. <laughs> yeah, Ashley, you actually are going through recovery right now, free. aren't you? Yeah, so I'm I had a a hip surgery on November 1st. I had a labral tear repaired and uh you know, it's been my own doing. It's a bit of a a genetic and um being hard on my body, but I was 4 weeks on crutches. I and you know, since I got out of horses, I've always been an athlete. I was a big, you know, I was a gym rat. I was six days a week. I was Mm -hmm. very, very fit. And, um, leading up to that, you know, you kind of ignore your injuries for a long time. And then, and then you cut, you pay the consequences after the fact. So, um, I've been doing PT for 13 weeks now. I'm still building up my strength, Mm -hmm. but even, you know, I had surgery on a Wednesday and I was trying to negotiate contracts on Friday, um, from my, from my recliner and <laughs> on my crutches. Yeah. And, um, you're still trying to do the same thing. It's, it's, it's always about adaptability and, and the horses really teach you that <laughs> right. whether you're sitting on their back or you're trying to manage their days or their care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And isn't side note, isn't physical therapy the best? I mean, that's really where I learned about myself. I had this awesome physical therapist who was, was like, physical therapist to the stars. He had put together football players from the um, NFL and he happened to find people who would pay for his services in Wellington. Shocker. Um, (laughs) And he, and he did a lot of Grand Prix riders. And so, and he wasn't a horse person, but because of the location and the riders that he got, he knew enough about horses. And he just sat me on my ass from day one and was like, look, you think you're going to think your way quicker out of this and you're not, you are going to pay attention and listen to me and do what I say is right. And stop trying to, you know, be in charge of something that you can't be in charge of and be in control of something you can't be in control of. And he was just awesome. And I really, I really appreciate people like that who can shoot it straight and make you a better person for going through something really hard. Yeah, absolutely. I, but I think that it's it's kind of an incredible correlation between what we do for horses when they're mm-hmm. injured or they for need sure. to take, you know, we are the ones that say, no, you're going for a hand walk today as opposed to being turned out or, you know, you're going to stand in these ice boots. Um, I I was convinced that I was a medical miracle after <laughs> after surgery. <laughs> I thought that, oh, well, I've, I've not been impacted at all. I feel no pain. I feel better than I did before surgery. And, um, it was my physical therapist who said, actually, no, you are 37 years old. You have got to let this joint heal itself. It's not going to do that if you keep moving around. And ironically right. enough, it was wonderful and came to to help take care of me two weeks post-op. And I, I remember mm. every time I got up out of the chair, she said, state your purpose. <laughs> because <laughs> if it wasn't something I could, I needed to do myself. She was going to take care of it for me. But, you know, it's just like, it's, it's such a, it's such an earth shattering for somebody who's so on the go and independent and, mm-hmm. you know, 
all the time we're caring for other people and their animals and to be in that situation where you have to sit back and you actually have to think about the physiological aspects of your own body and what doing too much today is going to impact you for tomorrow. We do it a lot for the horses, but we don't do it for ourselves. I mean, you know, in the years that I was running the circuit, I, you know, I remember coming home from horse shows and trying to go to the gym the day after I returned and never eating enough calories and being so thin. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I think that the the industry has gotten a little bit better about that since my full-time days, but Mm -hmm. the the world of fitness and nutrition has come so far in in the evolution of things that uh, you know having all of those physiotherapists and uh you know physical therapists and sports psychologists is it's a, it's an incredible piece of the entire puzzle of what we do for sure it is and unfortunately though again it turns into how much can you pay for though you know yes. it's so easy to it's so it's hard to take care of yourself when you are working from 5 a.m until 5 or 6 p.m and usually doing night check a couple hours later six days a week and i think the people taking care of the horses you know basic nutrition would be a good a great place to start and having time to eat the right things um but i think the the riders who are more on the on the client side can you know they have the time to take care of themselves and they can afford it and um i'm not saying that health should be expensive i just mean that when you when you have very little time to yourself that can turn into some minimal habits. of three meals a day should be yeah, exactly. I remember. I'm sorry. It's a bag of almonds in my tack trunk, not a meal. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so yes, and it's supposed to last you for the week. <laughs> that came to to cook for the girls when they were in town, and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm going to eat a real meal tonight." <laughs> yeah, right. The highlight of your meal. week. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's yeah, an incredible highlight of your week. I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's so funny, but the whole, the industry is, it's so sad because you look back on, you know, I look back on my years and I miss it all the time. Like I would love to be riding and I would love to, you know, even from a non-competitive aspect, just building up horses again and, you know, getting in the saddle. But the time that we have spent doing the sport and caring for animals, I just don't feel like I could give it the the time and the effort that it warrants these days. Every once in a while, I'll get back in the saddle and then I'm frustrated because I don't have the muscle memory and I don't spend enough time with it. And then it's too much of an inconvenience and my work schedule Mm -hmm. gets in the way. But I love, you know, I love to follow it. I love to cheer you on from the sidelines. I love my friends who now have children who are coming up in the ranks. You know, there are so many aspects to the industry that um, even if you're not in it, I still feel like I'm in it a bit because I live mm-hmm. vicariously through others. Um, but it's, it's such a demanding sport that if you're trying to be, and you've competed at the levels that we've experienced, it, you know, you've got to be all in and that's the sad reality of what the sport has gone to. Yeah. And I think back to reasons, reasons not to do this business are it's, it is an all in sport, you know, and I'm, I'm very lucky that right now I'm able to pick and choose what I can do and what I want to do. But that the only reason I can is because I've lived it nonstop for the last 30 years. And in doing so, I've cut myself off from 
other experiences. Um, I mean, I'm taking my first winter vacation this year and I'm, you know, trying to experience other things that I never had time for before. And I think the resources of time, you know, because the horses require so much of ours are, are a huge thing. The resources of energy. I remember being done with the horse show after two weeks and unable to want to speak to anybody for at least 48 hours because I had just talked so much and said so many words, many of which I didn't even remember what I said or or believed in what I said, but I just knew the kind of the party line. You just keep repeating it. And I'm not saying that I did this, you know, all the time, but you kind of get a little brain dead after such repetition. Um oh, and yeah. And having to, you know, I would look forward to taking care of the horses most, but the 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 people side of the job was always the toughest. And I yeah, think because the horses were the quiet time, you know, they don't yes, they don't exactly back to you, and you can have that that kind of peaceful tranquility. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, as much as I loved every aspect that I worked in, you know, sometimes at the end of the day, throwing standing wraps on a horse or, you know, waiting for the ice boots to to time out was just the best because it was quiet solitude. <laughs> or or going back for night check, you know, you're exhausted, yeah. but isn't that really oh, the best but time once you get so back much there? That you just want to yes. like cuddle with them. You know, you just want to have that and... moment of stillness and... <laughs> When yeah. you pull in the barn and it's like 7.30 and they're all looking out at you like the sun's setting and they all know that they're getting some more food and they're all yeah. nickering. I just love that. And that was nobody around to have to, you know, explain what you were doing just just to take care of them was so, so nice. But it's a tough industry and it's a tough, you know, the basics of just what we do alone are sometimes hard to swallow for people that haven't done this from day one. And then you add in the elements, like we've said, you know, the economics of it, the personalities that come with it. And listen, there's, there's a slew of awesome horse people out there. Don't get me wrong. I, I love most of the people that I have gotten to teach and run into and, and work with and learn from. Um, it's just that the, the high side of it can really produce a a 24 hour career. It is not, you know, yes. I, I love what I do now, but I will say I, the reason I think I have been so successful in the real estate industry is because when I started, I was used to a 24 hour a day, seven day a week career. And sure, that transitioned right. me successfully into this business, knowing that I needed to respond to clients at all hours of the day, any time of the day. And any day of the week, there was no weekends off. There was no, and that's, that's hard for most people to understand. I mean, you walk into the corporate world and if you've come out of the horse show world, you look like a hero. (laughs) Right. Because your work ethic is great. You are instantly the hardest worker in the room. (laughs) Immediately. Immediately. Yes. Yes. So there's, there's a hundred percent something to be said for all the years that you dedicate to that industry. And we still love it. I mean, I know that Jamie and I would, you know, we talk about, we joke about relapsing, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) you know, and we would love to be in it, but the lifestyle that it affords and the demand on it. I mean, yes, I will easily work seven days a week now for my clients buying and selling real estate, but it's a different type of work. I've, you know, you get to a certain yeah. point in in my career where 
you allow yourself to say, okay, I've, I don't have to work seven days a week, or I can work seven days a week if I want to. When it comes to horses, right. you're, you're all there. You have to be. And you it doesn't matter right. what, what level of the, the totem pole you're on, you're on it. <laughs> Well, and I think too, the the more you actually do care about the horses in their lives and the more, I mean, the tough thing for me was watching what we put them through with some riders who were, you know, you don't have to be a good rider, but sometimes if you're not, it's not just getting on and working and exercising. It's going to jumps that are, you're, they're placing those poor animals at distances where they have to figure yep. out how to get over a jump without hurting, literally hurting themselves, you know, or getting ripped in the mouth or getting, you know, just, just yep. basically flipped over in some instances. And, <laughs> and again, most of the time things go smoothly, but when those things happen, you, that's where my compassion for the horse comes in and I'm going, I'm not just leaving just to go home and, you know, have a cocktail. I need to stay and make sure this horse's legs are taken care of correctly and he doesn't have any bumps or bruises on him and he's put away the right way. And that takes a lot of time and energy. That's where our relationship, when we were working together in the particular instance that we were, and Jamie can say the same thing. If you have people working for you, caring for the animals that know enough to know enough, and mm-hmm. and you walk into the barn or we, you know, peek our head out the barn if if the client's having a lesson and we see what's going on, we're like, okay, little extra TLC tonight. <laughs> yeah. Real little <laughs> or, little extra know, we, ice boot time. Yeah. Yeah. We know they're going to the ring and you know, they're doing a level up or <laughs> you know, they're competing in a harder class, or you know, maybe the kid's extra nervous for this class for some reason. Um, you know, we have, we have the wherewithal to say, all right, this horse needs some extra treats, <laughs> extra treats and some extra care. Yeah. <laughs> let's, yes, exactly. Let's give them exactly. the best. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the, the good news is if you two still miss horses, then that's, that's a good sign. I mean, you, you hate to get out of it and go, that was terrible. You know, I hate this. I think, I think the positives should outweigh the negatives. It's very easy to point at the negatives and um, the the good side of it. That, like you said, the, not not just the lessons we've learned as humans, but the you know the times that we've had with the horses that we won't forget. I think are some of the most important parts of what we why we do that. Yeah, and I you know I will I'll just reiterate. I mean, I think every every person that I've ever encountered in my career in horses has taught me something and I carry that Mm -hmm. through my life, you know, whether it was a good lesson or a bad lesson, you know, there are so many people that I worked for that I have so much respect for. And, um, it's really, I think that's how you have to look at life in general, whether you're in the horse world or in the corporate world or, you know, working at McDonald's, everyone has to teach you something Mm -hmm. and there's a purpose for it. Um, so I think that, you know, as much as I miss the horses, it's not a, it's not a life I want to relapse into. Cause I don't think I can work that hard anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> Physically. <laughs> but what do you think mentally, was, what do you think was the hardest lesson to learn? Um, getting uh, perfectionism, um, you know, yeah. letting yeah. go of that because I always wanted I always, and when I was a rider, it was the same way. I always wanted everything to be perfect. And, you know, mm-hmm. that, I think that's what make, made me a really good manager and, 
and groom, certainly in the years that I did that, is I wanted every horse to walk out of the barn looking immaculate. And, you know, whatever happened after there, I couldn't control it. But Mm -hmm. as long as I knew that I was setting every horse up in the best mental and physical way that I could, absolutely. Um, And when it came to dealing with the grooms and the people, you know, it's it's perfectionism is a hard thing to overcome. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, it is for sure. I've had a lot of business coaches since my horse years that have just been like, why don't you get rid of that? And I'm like, uh, it's not something I can just let go of like that. (laughs) There's no switch for that. That's going to take, I appreciate your opinion. However, (laughs) I don't want to hear that opinion. (laughs) There is one way to load the dishwasher. And if you choose to load it that way, you are correct. If not, I'm sorry. (laughs) And it is fact. You are wrong. (laughs) Uh, Jamie, how about you? What's the hardest lesson? You you might've gone over it already, but what do you think is the hardest lesson you've learned? had to learn from the horses? I think just, you know, kind of in extending compassion to yourself, which I don't think I necessarily learned during my time in the horse industry, but it's more um, been an evolution, you know, coming out, being injured. And it's hard. Like we were talking about, you're so in it, you're there to take care of the horses, you know what they need, and you're going to put yourself second. So I think extending that same compassion to your self-care and being a little easier Mm -hmm. on yourself, it kind of blends into the perfectionism uh, aspect too, that, you know, there's only so much everyone can do every day, no matter what you think you should be accomplishing. And I think that's, that's a hard lesson to learn and still working on it. Um, It was funny. We were talking a few minutes ago about, um, being so committed and not being able to, you know, turn off and say, Oh, it's the weekend. Um, Ashley was down visiting me when I was pretty new in my corporate job, the first time I ever called in (laughs) and I, she had to coach me, talk me off the ledge. Like, it's okay. Like you're allowed to, this is what sick days are for. Like you can, and just (laughs) like wrapping your mind around that, that it's like, oh, like everything isn't life or death. Because we are, we're in it and we're so committed to it when we're doing it. Um, Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. it's hard to kind of get that perspective. Chrissy, I know exactly with that right now. (laughs) Yes, I completely understand completely. And it's, uh, you know, you have to take time for yourself. You have to put your own oxygen mask on first, as they say. And you have to, you have to make sure that that took me a long time to, to learn too. Uh, and it's, and it's hard to learn. And, and if you're of the kind of people that I think we are, where you do put others first and you put the horses first. And like we said, that's, that's necessary in this, any, not just the business, but if you have horses that live in your backyard that you're responsible for, they have to come first. Um, but having some, having some time or compassion, just compassion for yourself. Yeah. Is definitely, is a hard way, hard thing to learn. The hardest thing I had to learn was that I'm never going to make everybody happy. And I spent so much time bending over backwards for way too many people for many of the wrong reasons, um, you know, uh, to try to please everybody. And unfortunately, I had a lot of conflict between that and what was best for the horses. And I think that was one of the driving forces that I needed to say, what am I, what am I doing this for? You know, why am I, why am I killing myself for p- other people 
to get what they want out of either whatever I was providing them or if, you know, the horse show or the schedule or, you know, just whatever their demands were. And some silly, some like, could you carry my, you know, show jacket and water bottle and, you know, helmet to the ring for me so I can go up early and learn my course. And I don't want to, you know, be bogged down with everything to bring up there. Like what? No, be responsible for your own things, please. And, but I would say, yes, sure. No problem. I can do it. I can do it. Well, you can't do everything and you can't make everybody happy. And many times, especially for the horses, if you don't put them first and you put the people first, it's going to come back to bite you. So that's, um, and I think that can be applied for life, any business, any yes. situation. You can't, you can't make everybody happy. You've got to, you've got to do what you think is right. And that's, that's the only thing that matters. I have an 80, 85% rule in my life now that if it's 85% or it, it feels 85% correct, <laughs> it's good enough. Yeah, that's <laughs> Which good is enough. so exactly. disingenuous. It feels so counterproductive to how I have lived my life. But I have some business coaches sure. that are like, it's 85%. If it's 85%, it's good. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. And you break yeah, into hives. Exactly. Yeah, I do. And, and it, you know, and you break into hives. <laughs> yes. Well, and I think too, not just saying yes to everything, you know, of taking into consideration what are you being asked, whether it's a demand from your business or your people, you know, the people you work for or whomever. You should at least, and this goes to Jamie's point too, you know, take a minute to say, is this, is this best and can, can I put have a little compassion for myself in this, you know, scenario? So I don't know. There's a, there's so much the horses can teach us and hopefully we take care of them enough to um you know say thank yeah. you to them. I don't I don't think we do, but I think that for the most part if we can try our best then we're at least halfway. Yeah. And my only hope is, you know, that behind the scenes they're being cared for well enough to know that they are so appreciated. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Everyone is so grateful for what they do. <laughs> um, I do have a little question and answer section of this podcast. Would you guys like to join me on helping answer some of them? Absolutely. Sure. Okay, great. Um, Ashley, would you like to take away our uh, note to our sponsor at this point? happy to highlight our title sponsor, Reline GI. Reline GI is a natural long-term alternative that goes beyond masking symptoms. This unique blend of gut-friendly hyaluronin and wellness-boosting beta-glucan works with your horse's body to soothe and protect their digestive system. Unlike traditional therapies that can disrupt digestion and nutrient absorption, Reline GI leaves your horse's natural balance intact. But don't take our word for it. Reline GI is field tested by leading veterinarians and backed by peer-reviewed research, including a study by Dr. Nathan Slovis, showing it effectively reduces gastric ulcers in active horses. Plus, it's clean, sport certified, safe for competition use. Don't forget to use code SJP at checkout for 10% off, linked in our show notes. All right. Our first question comes from Chelsea in Salt Lake City, Utah. 
She says, oh, this is a really relevant question uh, to what we're talking about. She says, I'm currently recovering from an injury sustained while riding. It's been two months already and at least four to five months to go before I can ride again. During all this downtime, obviously the bills for the care of my horse are still coming and I'm doing a lot of thinking. Do I still want to do this sport? Ah, it's like she knew what we were going to talk about. <laughs> um, I've been feeling, this is her still. I've been feeling like I'm getting priced out for a while now, but having to pay for the sport while not actively participating is giving me a different perspective. Do I still want to participate in this sport? Any advice on how to make this decision? Um, well, listen to the podcast, Chelsea. Here we go. Uh, Ash, what do you think? Give her some advice. So my advice would be to kind of double down on the horses. I think it's very easy to get wrapped up on the competitive side of the sport. And it's very hard if you've been a competitor to, um, to let go of that. But if you are a true horseman, really learn, really spend the time you are taking to recover your body to, yes, it hurts to be paying those bills, but, you know, give yourself the ability to prioritize. Is this really the most important thing to you in terms of competing or being on that competitive level? Or, um, you know, I, I think there's so much to learn in every season of the sport, whether you're actively competing or you're learning more about the horsemanship side of things. And that sounds a little bit, you know, maybe a little bit hokey, but I am a true horseman at heart. And I grew up from a school of really learning the, the horsemanship side of things in addition to being a talented rider. So, um, you know, I think, I think refocusing on how much you can learn about your horse or about the industry or about competing or attending clinics and auditing. I think there's so many other things you can do besides sitting in the saddle, um, to reinvigorate yourself in terms of the horses and the world and competing. And I think the, the answer will be in your gut at the end of the day. <laughs> I totally Good. agree with yeah, that. I like that. Yeah, go ahead, Jamie. Um, I think that's a great perspective to have on it. And like you said about learning from the sidelines too, auditing clinics, coming up as someone who wasn't really well-funded and I didn't always have something to ride to practice, that was a big thing that was instilled in me at a younger age is you can always be learning by watching. Um, and I think delving into that during that downtime is hugely important. And also getting involved with the horses, like Ashley said, will give you that gut feeling of having the sense of whether you want to do it or not. I do think the expense is something that, you know, we've all talked about in this sport and it's something that's a really valid concern. Um, it's such a big expense. It's such a big commitment in terms of time to, to really be in it. So I think, you know, from a financial standpoint, that is something that you have to sit and look at a little bit if you're going to fully commit because it's huge to really do that. But I think there are plenty of ways that you can be involved and you can work with the horses in a fulfilling way without it being all or nothing. I agree with those two, uh, with your points, both of you. You know, I think there's a lot of aspects in this world that uh, we can't, we have tunnel vision usually, and it's hard to see what else is available um, besides what we have been doing. And I think my advice for Chelsea would be sort of twofold. One, 
start writing this down, like make a list of what you want and make a list of what you don't want and, and make a list of if finances were not an issue, how would this play out? What would you keep doing? Would you, would you say, okay, well then I have, if finances are the only problem, finances in time, you still have four to five months to go. And that just, you know, let's imagine that we're ahead of that and finances have not been an issue that or or will not be an issue about then then how much you know what are you getting out of it what are some goals you have after this if you could imagine the best version of of riding again but then also say imagine your life without horses what would you put that money towards again finances are a huge huge part of this they're a huge decision maker in how you consider how important you consider this is are there other things for your family or yourself that you would rather put that money towards and add up what it will cost over the rest of your injury and then to get back to how fit you were riding wise again i was lucky enough to be employed the whole time i was hurt and still making you know a nice living as I went forward afterward. But if I were in the perspective of owning a horse, I don't know if that would change if I wanted to keep going. And then the last thing is, like Ashley said, what's important to you now? And and it's really okay for perspective to change. Usually some events are catalysts to any perspective change. It, it kind of gets you out of the box and makes you look at it from a different angle. So So that's okay to be questioning it. It's just... If you want to make these decisions, I think putting yourself in the, if this, and you know, if column A is, if I didn't go forward happened, would I be happy? If column B was, if I did go forward happened, would I be happy? Can I imagine my life without horses? And if the answer is yes, then consider what else you might want to do. So I think that trying to look at it from all angles is, is, is a, a start. I think it's do, also very I think it's also very easy to get down during a recovery period because you sure. feel like you're progressing enough and you're not nothing's moving fast enough. I mean, I I feel like I'm a bit in that in that phase right now, but also you have to evaluate where you are in your recovery period and and are you being emotional because you can't do as much or are you being emotional because this mm-hmm. is these are true emotions that are coming to the surface for you. And know that those emotions will pass. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was me when I'm sitting in the golf cart yelling into the barn because I'm mad, you know, that, that does, that does go away. It does seem like it's forever. You know, those four to five months sound like four to five years. Like we, like we all talked about, but they will pass. So put yourself forward and say, what am I going to, um, assuming all of this is, has, is behind me. What do do I want now? Uh, good. All right. Good answers. Next question. Um, this is Caitlin, uh, who wrote in earlier this week. She says, I grew up competing at the local hunters, but the barn I rode at was primarily a dealer, uh, dealer, meaning just a sales barn. So now 20 plus years into riding, I'm at a show barn taking weekly lessons while boarding my coming three-year-old at a barn close to my house. I plan to trail her in for lessons once I start her this spring, eventually showing what the barn I take lessons at. Other than going as a spectacular helper this year without my horse, I think I mean spectator, other than going as a spectator or helper this year without my horse, how do I prepare myself for what's to come? Any questions I should ask? 
Ashley, what do you think? think, Yeah. I think that, you know, being all involved in, um, in the industry and every aspect of it, you know, again, I think it plays a little bit on Chelsea's question and being immersing yourself in the environment. So becoming a sponge and listening, listening to, um, watching and sitting on the sidelines and taking everything in, you know, there's always a, a hand that needs to be lent out to, to be helpful. And that only leads to opportunities. I think Jamie and I can speak to that quite, quite fluently uh, in terms of if you're preparing yourself to embark in that environment, um, try to get yourself as familiar with it as you can ahead of time. It's, um, you know, if your horse is young, really try to experience what what the grooms are doing, how the environment is in terms of preparation for horses, um, stepping into the competitive environment in terms of showing what does that look like, what are the demands going to be on you and your horse, uh, and certainly, you know, like I said, just just being there as much as you can. It sounds like a big time commitment, and it really is, but being present more often than not leads to greater understanding and greater opportunities. And with that understanding, I think comes a better uh, familiarity level as to what you're stepping into. Yeah, that's a good answer. I think that um, it's really hard to know a situation until you're in it, but to try to, um, you know, get to know some of the people that are going to be taking care of your horses is definitely key. I think that asking, you know, the trainer who's there about, you know, explaining and being, being communicative about your own expectations is a big thing. I think that that's something where, you know, when I was had a barn of clients and I had a new client come to me, we always had a meeting at the very beginning then, and before we said, this is the right fit or match for the two of us, you know, we talked about the client's goals, both for her as a rider and for the horse. And if you have a young horse, it, there's so many little baby steps that have to be taken. And I think asking for, for, for Caitlin to ask the trainer, you know, what, what do you see? Ask the trainer what they see as the next year ahead. How do they see this all playing out and see if that, that fits what you see and communicate that to them as well so that you guys can get on the same page. Jamie, you have any thoughts about this, about Caitlin? Yeah, I think, you know, the number one thing that came to mind was she's talking about shipping in for lessons. And that kind of equated to me, if we're going to circle back on our discussion earlier about doing our physical therapy, coming back from an injury. And, you know, you're going to your physical therapist, they send you home with homework. Um, So that was the big thing that kind of popped into my head as I heard her question. If she's, you know, shipping in whenever she can, and she's trying to get as much exposure as she can with her young horse maybe asking, what should I be doing in between visits? What kind of exercises should I be doing at home? What kind of program should I be putting together so that when it's time for me to come to that horse show, I'm ready to go. And I've done everything that I could to maximize the resources that I have in terms of getting ready. Yeah. And I think, again, that comes down to communication is really not just taking a lesson, but but like you said, you know, asking what can I do in between? And if she's able to ride um, in between lessons, then practice whatever they've been able to do. And as well as be prepared for whatever the upcoming lesson is or the show, it's hard for trainers to really take care of all the little details that need to be, um, taken care of for their, 
for their clients. So it's really great when the clients can be proactive and say, you know, what can I do for, for preparation? Cool. Okay. Um, last question, much simpler. Um, Siobhan from Rochester asks, do you have any tips for the schooling area before class? Um, uh, Ashley, I would love to know your perspective on, you know, when we were at the Walker with those kids, what you saw like on an individual basis for those kids in the schooling area, because, you know, as we all know that everybody's, everybody's in, different in their needs and what they need to do for preparation, whether it's get there early or, you know, study the course for half an hour or get there sort of on a, you know, maybe half hour basis as opposed to an hour and just get a little bit of warm up. or some people need, you know, two jumps as opposed to 20 before they go in their ring. Uh, what did you see when you were helping those kids? So I think every, the important thing is really kind of understanding, and this is an evolution for most people, is understanding what works best for you um, and what mm -hmm. works best for your horse. So it, for me, I needed time. I If I went in the middle of a class, I would love to watch the first couple of kids go, understand the course a little bit better after I've walked it, do some visual, visualization. Um, and I was always, you know, I always had horses that were a bit nervous in the schooling area. And I rode a number of horses that were just not, <laughs> you know, I had that bad string of schooling area mishaps. <laughs> mm, but we all it, we've all had those problems. <laughs> yeah, I think really for for a lot of people, it's about bringing calmness and confidence to the schooling area. So whatever that means for you whether it's taking the time to prepare ahead of time and then getting on your horse and, you know, having a little bit of time as opposed to the hurry up aspect that comes with a lot of our showing experience. Um, but a lot of, a lot of what you do in the schooling area prepares you obviously to step into the ring. And if you do that with a diligent plan and some confidence and, you know, the expectation that you're not going to feel rushed or hurried or, have the anxiety of any piece of this puzzle leading up to just simply stepping into the ring, you're only going to set your, yourself up for success. So if you have the capabilities to go to the ring beyond when your horse arrives and has to stand around, you know, certainly watching riders even earlier in the day, if it's not your course, if the course is going to ride the same, watching how the lines right. are riding for different animals and um, different stride lengths and how people are turning off of different corners and approaching jumps. Uh, and certainly, you know, having the conversation with your trainer about, you know, how you're feeling that day, if you're anxious, if you, you know, what, whatever yeah. emotions are coming to the surface, that's an important thing for your trainer to understand as well, because it's not only going to help set the pace for how they prepare you for the ring, but also maybe how they prepare your horse earlier in the day. Yeah, exactly. It would, it's as trainers, sometimes we're running from ring to ring and we get there when they're, you know, we're three out and really with no immediate uh information on how that rider feels or the how they're you know hopefully we've done our job and the horse is prepared as we think so but it's really always nice to know have a little context for as a trainer to understand you know hey i you know i have a really crappy family situation right today you know and so i'm not really all here can we just keep this pretty simple and understand that i might not be you know 100% in the ring that that's a huge help for 
for um, us as trainers and will be for you because you won't have a trainer going, hello, are you paying attention? You know, what's going on up there? Exactly. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Jamie, what do you think? I love what both of you guys have said about the mindset stuff um, and how that factors into having a plan because whatever happens out there and however your plan goes that you think, you know, I'm going to finish with this. I'm going to do this many jumps. It's not necessarily always going to go exactly the way you plan, whether it's schedule, whatever, you can only do so much. And I think that mindset is a really, really important part of it that you both touched on because like we've talked about throughout our conversation today, we can't always control everything. And I think being able to get yourself in the right mindset in the warm-up area, getting ready for the class, like Ashley said, a little visualization, if that's something that works well for you, so that you're able to go in and take a breath and just focus on what you're doing without all the buzz, I think is huge. Yeah. And I think that leads into um, my biggest thought on getting ready for the schooling area is less is more. And understand that you're not going to learn a new skill that minute. You know, yes. you what you know is what you know. You're going to do the best you can. You're going to warm up enough so your horse, you know, gets a little movement and get some sweat going and is physically prepared for the ring. And you're going to do a few practice jumps where you rehearse and are a little more in the groove than you were just getting on cold. But overdoing until you're perfect, again, going back to perfectionism, until you're perfect in the schooling area never leads to a good round. Just get some good confident jumps in there. Um, you know, whether you're in the hunters or the jumpers, just get yourself so that you're you're approaching your first jump as if you've just finished your last schooling area jump and you're not overthinking, you know, what exactly should I be doing right now? It just should be a little bit of a rhythm and everybody's different. Everybody's individual. Everybody needs more jumps or fewer jumps, you know, it needs a version of, of that. Um, there's no one set set way, but if you can just appreciate that what you've put into it already in your homework and your lessons and any previous competitions, you know, that's all adding up and, uh, that'll stay with you in the ring, but just don't try to overdo. I would say less is definitely more. Totally agree with that. Uh, all right. Well, this was great guys. Thank you so much for, uh, this podcast and staying with me through these questions. And, um, when I need to have another real life conversation, <laughs> I will definitely be calling you too. We're always here. here. I love that. Okay. We we can speak Um, from experience on this topic. (laughs) uh, Yeah. There's so much more to talk about too. I mean, I I say that at the end of every podcast, but we could, we could keep going for another few hours, but we won't, we won't bore our listeners for that right now. Um, and for our listeners, um, next week I'm traveling to Massachusetts. Uh, I will have another clinic out of Westford, mass at wildwood farm so i'll have another recap at that point but uh thanks for listening and we'll see you next time thanks ashley thanks jamie thanks christy